This is Ryan Boyle, and you're listening to Pro Lacrosse Talk. Right off the bat, there's Lyle Thompson. Kylie O'Miller showing off those shifty skills. Driver driving hard down the alley, and he scores. What a goal from Josh Bird. Kayla Trainer fires to score. You kidding me? By Dylan Ward. Gets topside, wrap, oh, scores! Welcome to Pro Lacrosse Talk on the Lacrosse Playground Podcast Network. Your go-to podcast for interviews with professional players, coaches, and executives, as well as the latest news and analysis from all three professional lacrosse leagues. Now, here's your host, Hutton Jackson. We're here with Ryan Boyle, four-time All-American and national champion at Princeton, four-time champion in the MLL, and PLL analyst during NBC's coverage of the PLL. Ryan, I know we want to speak to you, uh, you know, because of the draft, and I speak on behalf of Adam that we're really excited to have you on um, and break down this PLL college draft. But we do want to go back a little bit um, to your earlier playing days, you know, at Princeton, and then you getting drafted yourself into the MLL and NLL. Um, so first off, again, welcome to the show, and let's talk a little bit about your time at Princeton and kind of how do you end up at Princeton. And, and for the record, I said we could we could avoid all talk of me if if you wanted just to do all PLL drafts. I'm just throwing that disclaimer. If, if <laughs> people are like, great, I'm going to start hitting the, the fast forward button. Um, but yeah, I'm ha- happy to happy to go back to, to to the past and talk about Princeton and MLL and NLL and, and whatever wherever you guys want to go. Yeah, I mean, well, you're a four time pro champion. So I think we have to at least highlight that a little bit um, for our audience, but yeah, let's first start at Princeton. You know, you're a four-time All-American. You won a championship there. You made it to the final four every year. You were there as well. Not um, my junior year. We got knocked down, oh, the, we got uh, knocked down the quarterfinals at gotcha. as the higher seed. So yeah, you want to start there. How brutal was it losing that game? And, uh, and how did your career kind of set you up for your time in the pros as well? That would probably be that my least favorite memory to, to, or certainly in the memory bank of the dark memories, but um, we actually had a really talented team that year. We just got kind of riddled with injuries, mm-hmm. um, you know, myself included. Um, and, and, and Cuse was actually a little down that year too. So it was really strange. I think, I think if memory serves me correctly, we were the four seed and they were the five seed, uh, but, but the Carrier Dome was selected as kind of one of the sites for the quarters. So we played, in essence, an away game at Syracuse, but as the home seed. So it was kind of bizarre, um, bizarre on a lot of different fronts. Um, and just, just we just didn't have enough juice. We were just kind of too, too kind of short-manned or, or, or kind of, like I said, riddled with injury. And, and it was... The game wasn't really even competitive. I could, I, I remember distinctly you know, having hamstring issues and barely kind of being able to walk. But, mm-hmm. um, but, but the other, but the other seasons um, did make championship weekend and certainly much, much more fond memories for sure. Yeah. What about lifting, you know, that trophy and that championship uh, with Princeton? What was that feeling like? You know, I don't, I don't remember like specifically like holding the trophy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do remember, you know, passing the ball to to BJ Prager who then scored scored the, the game winner in overtime um and just not knowing what to do and like Forrest Gump style I just started running <laughs> I just like didn't didn't know where to go where to be you know everything was just such a blur and just euphoria and like just whatever my momentum was I just kind of like kept running um, kind of up near the right sideline and and next thing you know kind of found Dan Clark DC and and kind of 
you know, jumped into his arms and, and then the celebration was kind of on from there. But I can, you know, have a little bit of like an outer body experience and kind of get right back to, to that place, um, you know, mentally, just I'm getting goosebumps right now. Um, but then after that, like everything is just kind of blurry. Like I don't remember holding the trophy or like anything, but but I can like get back to that specific moment pretty quickly. You know, that must have been a tremendous moment. And then you got drafted, uh, you know, both in the MLL and the NLL as well. So I got, so. I actually got drafted by the Rochester Rattlers. It was actually pretty crafty by the Rattlers. So Mike Powell went one and then the Rattlers had picked two and four and the barrage was three. And the barrage, we had, we had Greg Catrano as our goalie. Mm-hmm. The Rochester, uh, the Rattlers had a very specific need at goalie. Um, and so, you know, conventional wisdom was they're going to take Tillman Johnson there. And then I would kind of be, in, in, you know, ready for the barrage to take. And they, the barrage had a very specific need, the position I played. Um, and Rochester kind of craft, crafty moves. They took me too thinking the barrage would then pass on Tillman because they had Catrano and then they would take, you know, and then, and then the Rattlers would be able to get Tillman at four. Um, and then Philly ended up, you know, kind of calling the, the Rattlers bluff drafted Tillman three. Um, and so I was involved in actually, you know, I don't know if it happened later that day. I was actually out of the country in Japan with, with the Princeton team. So I don't, I, I didn't really learn any of this until later. Um, but then I was in, involved in a, in a draft day trade. So, um, so Philly and, and Rochester, uh, me, Tillman, and then I'm, I'm blanking on, on who else was kind of involved in it and then um, in, involved in the trade. And then, and then Rochester, and I think, and Sean Lindsay, you know, another you know, fantastic yeah. player at, with a you know, great, great uh, college and pro career at four. Yeah, so a little bit of draft day drama, and we can get a yeah. little bit into the PLO drama that we had too a little bit later. But uh, talk to me a little bit about that first, you know, first seasons both in the field and box game. Um, like I mentioned, you were rookie of the year in both those leagues, which I don't think many people have done. Um, you know, I can't, I, I don't know, I have to do a little bit more research on to see who else has done that. But um, I have to imagine you're at least, you know, one of a few to do that. So talk a little bit about, you know, adjusting to the pro game. Well, I think you know the, the adjustment to Philadelphia. Um, was was fairly seamless just because they they really kind of had an open spot at, at my position and a mm-hmm. need to a degree not not to say they didn't have you know great players you know on their team but it was kind of a specific need and and it was pretty pretty seamless just because I also had you know some teammates that I was pretty comfortable with um, kind of heading into it you know most notably you know BJ uh, whom I already mentioned BJ Prager and then you know Matt Striebel um, just to just to name two um, and and so they they kind of knew, knew what I was all about, knew into the playing style, but, but, you know, as importantly, just kind of personality. Um, and, and so they kind of really welcomed me and the team and, and, you know, I give the head coach Sal Acasio a ton of credit just in terms of uh, really empowering me. And, and despite a lot of veterans um, kind of speaking up, um, you know, about kind of my, my role within the team um, and, and, you know, for anybody that, that knows me, um, you know, I'm not the, shyest uh when it comes to like how things should 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 how the game should be played um and and how um the 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 offense and defense should kind of complement each other um and trying to like not lose sight of like the the goal is to win the game um Mm. and so any any thing that would pop into my mind in terms of like how we're going to accomplish that like 
you know, I've, I've maybe waited a week or two um, before then kind of, you know, speak, speaking my mind. Um, you know, the NLL was, was a, a totally different ball wax. Um, mm-hmm. And I really made it a point to, to come with a very humble approach um, and with the mindset of just like, I'm using the same skill sets that I've always used, but I've got to like learn kind of a new, new version of the sport. And so mm-hmm. I, I never acted as though, um, you know, I was going to have a ton of success or was going to play field, you know, in, in, in box. Um, and so I really tried to come to, to training camp um, with, with an open mind and, and was really fortunate to, to have an organization um, and, and, some, and some very key veteran players that um, did not mind teaching me. Um, mm-hmm. and, and hopefully I reflected that back that I was open to be taught and, and willing to be coached, um, and, and was very fortunate just to, to have an organization that was, you know, willing to, to, to take a bet on an American or American player and, and give them a little bit of time, um, and space to, to learn and the breathing room to make some mistakes and, um, not have kind of a quick, a quick yank kind of off the field. And mm-hmm. so, um, was very, very fortunate to end up in that, in that situation. And I think to, to earn kind of rookie of the year, probably, probably speaks more about my draft class <laughs> than, than, you know, me personally. Um, but, but really enjoyed acclimating to, to the, the style of game and, and, and the culture. Um, and, and, and just incredibly thankful for, for the opportunity. You know, and in terms of championships, we mentioned you've won four in the MLL, um, you know, three with the barrage, which you guys were essentially probably the first field lacrosse dynasty in professional lacrosse, um, you would say. And then you won another one with uh, the Cannons as well, who retired your jersey. Um, Let's talk a little bit about that last one. And, you know, moving on from the barrage to the Cannons um, and, you know, being with that organization and now seeing that organization join the PLL this upcoming season. Yeah, it was it was a strange transition um, just because you know, you've got these relationships and you've got kind of all these experiences built up. And so there's a, there's kind of a trust factor mm-hmm. uh, built in and, and not only, you know, built over times on the field, but, but just as importantly, you know, hanging, hanging off the field and, you know, grabbing dinner or hanging with guys in the off season. And so um, it, it really was having to like redo that kind of all over again. I remember mm-hmm. kind of showing up um and it was like, am I adjusting to you or are you adjusting to me? And, 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 you know, like most things in life, there's a little bit of give and take kind of on, on both sides. Um, but I, I think, you know, once that learning curve was, was kind of over and, and um, then, then that's when we were able to see, you know, a lot of success, but mm-hmm. uh, it didn't come without kind of it's, it's trials and tribulations, so to speak early on, just because, um, you know, while these teammates, now teammates they used to be my opponents they, they didn't know about close games that, that, that the barrage had against you know a different opponent and we mm-hmm. you know and, and certain certain players stepping up or playing roles and certain things so um it, it was almost like a com- complete reset to a degree of just kind of having to build up that that same kind of equity if you will with 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 your teammates and with your coaches and um and with the organization as a whole in terms of you know, valuing you know, my opinion, me valuing theirs and, and so on and so forth. Yeah. And talk about the satisfaction of winning, you know, in 2011, um, it was the franchise's first championship and obviously your fourth. Um, what was that feeling like? You know, it was, um, it was a really special, special moment to, to bring a championship to, to, you know, such a, a, a franchise held in such a high esteem, you know, one really mm-hmm. one of the flagship 
um, franchises in the league that had come come so close but never been able to get over that hurdle. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the, the the weekend itself, you know, we played the Saturday in like a monsoon, like standing mm-hmm. water, yeah. uh, hurricane. We were down early and big, um, and so I remember you know specifically you know, coming back and, and tying the game and just, you know, looking around the huddle and just being like, Hey, like remove the emotion that we just went through to get to this point. Like it's tied. Like we now <laughs> need to need to like, just everybody just, we've worked so hard to get to this point, like take a deep breath. We're, we're right there, but like, it's a different game now. It's, mm-hmm. it's, tied. it's, it's, we've, we've worked so hard. Like let's not lose the focus of like, we're now in a tie game and, um, and, 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 you know, fortunately, you know, we made some plays down the stretch, Max Quinzani made kind of an all time, um, mm-hmm. kind of catch, catch and finish, um, to, to, to win the game and, and really on a, on a poor pass, uh, like it was a bounce pass in standing water. So how he was able to corral that and then get that on net is, you know, speaks to the beauty of, of Max Quinzani's game. Um, and then in the finals, it was really it was really understanding that Jordan Burke was the MVP mm-hmm. of that weekend. And it was clear that he was the best player in my mind, kind of on the field. Mm-hmm. Um, and that our defense was the, the critical component. Um, and so you, you need to have a, a, a certain level of self-awareness and, and assessment of your own team and how you're going to win the game and understand that that really what we need to do offensively, we're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. We're going to we're going to put up the necessary numbers, but what we can't do is jeopardize our defense because mm-hmm. when they are put in a situation to succeed, they're going to win the game for us. Um, and so, you know, my mindset really kind of shifted to like we need to make sure that offensively we're, we're protecting our defense because mm-hmm. if they're if they're put in an advantageous situation, they're, they're going to win the game for us. Um, and so knowing that mindset, accepting that mindset as an offensive player, that your defense is going to win that, it, it then affects kind of how you're going to play offensively. Um, and I just thought that given the play of, of Jordan Burke and Cage and, and the, the, the defense that we had in front of them, we had to, to kind of take that mindset and then execute accordingly. Mm-hmm. No, I actually was actually at that game. Um, you know, it was a nail biter 10, nine, I think was the, the final, um, in that game. But, uh, yeah, I think it was pretty cool to see, you know, the cannons hoist that trophy for the first time and they just hoisted it in the MLL last year, but now they're kind of, again, the new kids on the block kind of out to prove something, I think in the, the PLL. Um, but I want to transition now to kind of the coaching side of things, because you are a founder of trilogy. You're the CEO. Um, talk a little bit about how you got into the coaching game and what's it like training the next generation of players. Yeah. So I think when I, when I graduated, you know, I'd, I'd already been in the industry for, you know, close to 10 years, mm-hmm. um, just in terms of, you know, working at overnight camps, day camps, clinics, things like that. Um, and so, you know, we got, we started running events before we like technically had a company, whether it was with a friend or, or just kind of like getting the necessary insurance, but not really having like a full structure of a company and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, very kind of innocuous manner manner. And, you know, it became clear to me quite quickly that, you know, what we were doing from a, from a curriculum and training perspective was, was really better than anything I had been to as, mm-hmm. as a staff member. So um, call it hubris, call it naivety. It was like, you know, there's this, the, the, the sport is really exploding across the country and there's all this growth. 
and there isn't the education to kind of keep up with it. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so um, that was really kind of how we got our start was, you know, developing educational programming, whether it be camps, day, overnight, um, clinics, things, thing, coaching seminars, thing, things of that nature. Um, and really just just hitting the ground running and, and really taking a grassroots approach and and you know remember the first couple of years just just traveling nonstop in order to just develop relationships and and see where there was need see there was where there was appetite um, see there was interest in, in working with us um, and, and from there really kind of built built our base of of, of network and relationships of of, of whether it be uh, regions, states, cities, programs that, that mm -hmm. were interested, you know, in, in what we provided from an education standpoint. Um, and, and then from there, really, really kind of organic growth in terms of um, adding, adding people, adding the right people, um, you know, most notably, you know, Mitch Belisle, um, who's, mm -hmm. who's still, still with us. I, we kind of make a joke, like we don't know how long Mitch has kind of been around. Um, and, and then really kind of evolving, you know, our programming to, to larger scale events where we could have, you know, a, a bigger kind of macro impact um, on the game and, and providing um, players and teams the opportunity to, to, to train and, and get, get the instruction that they need and, and then also, you know, compete um, at, at events that are well run and, and then also, you know, introducing college coaches um, from both an education standpoint um, you know, mm -hmm. with regards to, uh, you know, on the field and, and off the field in terms of you know, recruiting education and then, you know, providing players with exposure to, to, to play at the next level. No, I think that's great. And it's, it's, you know, so important, I think, too, as the sport continues to grow, to have that education that, um, you know, is coming from, you know, the premier players from the sport, too, because, you know, as you have growth, you have growing pains sometimes where there, there may not be the education that needs to be. And um, I think that's why it's important what you guys are doing. Let's segue a little bit into your broadcast career. Uh, you are an analyst with the NBC team that covers the PLL. Um, you also were part of the draft coverage the past couple of years, including on Monday night. So let's go into the draft. First off, you know, what were your main takeaways, I guess, from the draft? I mean, in my opinion, I think every team kind of filled the needs that they had if there were any really needs going into it. A lot of teams were, I feel like, pretty stacked already. But uh, what are some key takeaways from this PLL college draft that you had? So it's, it's still a bit of a blur. So I'm just going to admit <laughs> that. Uh, it's still a bit of a blur. And I'm still kind of processing everything. And I got to, like, put the draft picks in the rosters and, like, mm -hmm. how they form. But, uh, you know, I, I think some, some main takeaways, you just, you just said it, and I said it on the, on the broadcast. But, you know, there's a lot of coaches kind of patting themselves on the back. You know, there was, um, you know, pretty much – you know, almost to a team, I, I laid out some, some team needs and I'm, you know, as the night goes through, I'm just a lot of, a lot of check marks, mm -hmm. a lot of check marks. And I think that speaks to, you know, the depth of the class. Um, so the ability to, to slot in some, some seemingly very productive players, you know, for, mm -hmm. for those team needs. Um, so I, I think that's one of my main takeaways. Um, you know, again, not, not be too, too repetitive, but I, I think the Redwoods getting TD at number four, um, the fact that he, for lack of better words, dropped to, to them is, you know, you got to be feeling good if you're, if you're Nat St. Laurent and, and a Redwoods fan, just in terms of, you know, that was such a huge need for them and, and to get, mm -hmm. you know, arguably the top guy coming out, not only in this class, like, but in recent memory, right, mm -hmm. um, is certainly, certainly a win. Um, and then you look at the two teams that had, you know, just an, just a, an influx of picks. Uh, the chaos and the Atlas, just in terms of remaking their rosters. I thought the chaos 
um, kind of took, took some swings for the fences, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I thought the Atlas did, did a really good job of kind of rounding out um, and, and remaking really uh, a significant part of their roster um, and, and two areas specifically kind of on the offensive half with, mm-hmm. with some playmakers um, and then their short stick defensive midfield. Um, but, you know, I, I could keep, I could keep going in terms of the team mm-hmm. kind of, you know, f- filled some needs, but, you know, in terms of, you know, biting my tongue and, and having a conversation here, that's, that, those are probably the places I would start. And, and I think the mm-hmm. big, the big like draft kind of, you know, every draft has kind of a wrench thrown in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was, you know, at number three, JT Giles Harris, not that, not that he isn't worthy of that number three pick. I'm not, I'm not certainly not saying that, but when he went three, that then had the Redwoods take TD at four. And now you kind of opened up kind of a lot of offensive players that might not have been available or, or then Connors and then offensive mm-hmm. players. Um, and then, you know, I thought the cannons would take a defenseman at nine, uh, which they did. They took Kielty. Um, so then you, then it like, you kind of like, it's kind of a chain reaction. JT yep. Giles there's at three, then Kielty at nine. And so th- that's when you saw, you know, a bunch of coaches, you know, most notably, and the best, you know, one of the best sound bites was Tim Sudan, I think, laughing um, about getting Terrafinko. Yeah. Um, you know, there was just some guys that are like, this guy's available? Like, really? Like, yeah. oh, okay. Like, didn't, didn't think he'd be here. Um, yeah. So those are, those are kind of some of my major takeaways. Yeah, I think that speaks to the draft class as well. And um, I was probably a little bit less surprised about JT Giles Harris, but I, I don't think people realized how close the Chrome were to possibly taking TD because you know Connor Farrell's a pretty solid face-off guy himself but I think you know they thought that highly enough of TD that they were considering using their pick on him but obviously with uh, Tom Rigney's military commitments it made a lot of sense for them to go with JT Giles Harris but um, talk a little bit about too like this draft uh, trade scenario we know we mentioned you were a part of one when you were drafted uh, but the Eli Gobrek trade I think took a lot of people um, for a whirlwind and it kind of had a ripple effect as well talk a little bit about that trade that the you know coach Copeland pulled off yeah, I, I think it's more about the archers. So mm-hmm. I, I think once they got Connors, because, you know, on their roster, and there's been a little rumble of like, you've already got Ratliff, but like, they didn't really have, I, I think, a second pole there. Mm-hmm. And so they were kind of going to have to piecemeal together that second pole. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, Ratliff is a, a tremendous player, but, but having a number two just to spell him, you know, and mm-hmm. to give him a little bit of breather or having the flexibility to double pole, um, they didn't really ha- have that per se. They, they they had some guys at close that they could maybe maybe bump up. And so, you know, I had LSM depth as kind of one of their needs. I think once Connors kind of fell to their fell into their lap, they take him, and now they don't need to flex a close guy. Mm-hmm. So yep. you look at their close guy, and it's like, okay, do we want do we want depth here? Um, or now is, is one of those, you know, close guys, you know, for lack of better words, expendable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have that on the archer side and then on the water dog side, you know, close D was a clear, clear area for need for them. Um, and it's like, okay, well, do we want to take a rookie at, you know, what was it? Pick 18, I think maybe mm-hmm. even lower. I believe um, so. Yeah. Was it 18? Yeah, it was 18. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's like, you know, am I going to, am I going to draft a, a guy at, at 18 and feel good about inserting him on the, in the starting lineup, or am I going to take, you know, a, a proven veteran um, in Gobrecht? And, and so I think that's where kind of the, the, the two sides came together. Yeah, no. And I, I think it's, 
interesting too because the archers were kind of put in that situation um kind of in a, it was a good problem to have but because i think they got hosick in that entry draft right. and didn't expect to get warren jeffrey in the later draft too but once he was available to them it's like well why not and they had a you know uh, some riches at defenseman. Um, and that's probably what made Gobrecht, you know, movable. But like you said, he's a, you know, they had pretty much four starting defenders on their roster and were able to move one of them um, to kind of, you know, clear things up a little bit, fill another need um, and return the water dogs also, you know, pretty much have their starting three now with Burns, Randall and Gobrecht. So um, yeah, I thought that was a, a great tw- trade. I think it worked out for both teams. Um, and that kind of led to another ripple effect though, with the chaos, which you kind of called out. So let's talk about that moment where uh, coach towers mentioned why you get paid the big bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, there's it, certainly my favorite soundbite of the, of the night. Um, but I mean, I, I had trainer pegged there. I, he's a great pickup for the archers. I, I think in terms of having a two-way guy, um, you know, you look at the, the rest of that midfield Mazone is really the only guy that can maybe go two ways. Everybody else is kind of a clear offense or defense guys. So, so giving them a little bit more versatility kind of between the arcs. And, and so, you know, then chaos is just kind of sitting there and it's like, well, you know what, you know, screw it. I might as well just, just do this now. Um, and, and, and also just, you know, prevent the inevitable of, of Bernhardt falling to the, to, to stags and, and the whip stakes and, and, and having him, you know, take, take that, take that pick. Um, and so I, I think, you know, once, once trainer got the, the rug kind of got pulled out from underneath of, uh, of towers, um, who's sitting there assuming water dogs are going to take a defenseman mm-hmm. seeing trainer on the board. And then once the trade happens and then it goes, it's like, all right, fine. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. Um, yeah. I'm going to do it. <laughs> and so uh, it just, it, it's, it was one of those moments where I'm like, I, this, this seems, you know, like I, I, I had it projected and it was just kind of like, all right, fine. If, if you're going to take him, then, then I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do, I'm going to do it. I'm doing bar. I'm going to take Bernhardt and uh, uh, I'm going to take the risk. I'm not going to let the whip snakes draft him. And, you know, any other needs that I've got, uh, you know, I'll, I'll try to fill later. Cause um, it, it, it might be a little bit more of a stretch kind of past, past trainer um, in terms mm-hmm. of kind of a plug and play. Yeah, no. And they filled, uh, I think a need at defense with uh Kyle Thornton, who's no slouch too. So they still got their guy. Um, yeah. They still got, they still got the guy that they, they needed defensively for sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, we saw coach towers take a guy in last year's draft too, that was potentially returning to school. Obviously this is a little different situation with Bernhardt returning to play football, but in Jeff Teat, now he lost Jeff Teat's rights because of the rules, but um, let's talk a little bit about Jeff Teat, who, you know, him and Michael Sowers was probably the biggest debate of the night who was going number one. I think, you know, the writing was on the wall that the Atlas were going to take T number one overall, but talk about those two players games and what they bring to the pro game. I think it's going to be a discussion we're going to be having for a long time. Um, I think both players ended up at the right spot, but um, you know, I think that debate of Teeter Sowers is going to be going on for a long time. So talk about both their players games. Yeah. I think, you know, when you look at T and you got drafted number one overall in the NLL, right? Mm-hmm. So what have there been like three guys total? Only three other guys. Yeah. Crowley and Lyle Thompson. Yep. So I think you just look at him and I think one of the biggest things, and I I try to touch on this, um, but given the limited airtime, like he's going to be a full-time professional lross player, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he's the number one overall pick in the NLL. He's going one or two in in the PLL. 
Um, so he, he's going to be playing professional lacrosse for, for seemingly a, a long time. And that is, that's going to be, that's going to be it. Um, mm-hmm. And you look at his past performance, you know, forget about college. Like he played against grown men mm-hmm. in, in the world games and lived up to it. I mean, he was what, what their leading scorer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he, he has proven himself um, to be able to produce at, at the absolute highest level against, you know, the best athletes in the world. Um, and, and then I think you, you can couple that with you know, the makeup of their team and, and also just them being a little bit more maybe in flux in terms of what they're going to do stylistically. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just gives them kind of a, a lot of options. Um, you know, I look at Sowers and, you know, obviously he's capable of playing in the indoor, you know, he wasn't number one overall pick. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I would imagine given some of the due diligence, it just is like, okay, if he's not going to play indoor and he's just going to play outdoor, you know, it does he have the same longevity? Uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, I would hope so. Um, certainly, you know, hoping that to be the case. And, and obviously there's some biases here given, given his former, uh, former uh, college, uh, still, mm-hmm. still an alma mater, the Tigers here. Um, and I, I think you look at his fit on the Atlas as being kind of the go-to guy. Um, and I'm sorry, on the, on the water dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they, they bogged down, you know, quite a bit offensively last year, kind of in the six on six and, and more specifically, you know, they just didn't have a guy that you're like, Hey, can you just go generate something? Like, can you just, mm-hmm. yeah. can you just like go make something happen? Like we have something late in the shot clock. Just can you beat your man and create a shot, whether it's for mm-hmm. yourself for somebody else. Um, and, and I think, you know, arguably nobody else in the draft, whether it's a short stick or a long pole matchup, like just throw that out the window, just like, can you beat your guy and create a shot? Just, just given his quickness and his vision, he just makes everybody else in the field deadly. Um, mm-hmm. And he makes, he really unlocks a lot of their off ball play. Um, and they've got, you know, a bevy of kind of off ball options. And so I think he's a really natural, natural fit there um, and being able to just kind of insert, you know, from day one and just being like, here's the ball kid, go, go make something happen. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think both teams kind of walked away happy. It's, it's going to be a fun debate that we're going to, we're going to have, and we're going to see, you know, what, what the production looks like out of these two. Uh, we're going to see how their teams perform and it's going to be kind of a fun, fun media debate for sure. I mean, they're going to be kind of, you know, forever linked. Um, you know, at least for one season, but, but kind of beyond that. Um, so I, I think the, the debate, though, probably revolved around kind of that, that fit and that longevity piece would, mm-hmm. would be my assumption for, for, the, for the coaches. Yeah, no, and I think it worked out better too for both teams. And, you know, the, the water dogs, like you said, clearly needed a facilitator. Now they added Ryan Brown in the off season, who obviously is one of the best shooters in the game, if not the best. Um, Kieran McCarl's no slouch on the left side too. And they picked up Ethan Walker and are getting um, Michael Krause also, you know, coming over as well. So, you know, a lot of offensive pieces, Westberg too, didn't mention him and uh, Ben Reeves, if his medical commitments don't keep him. I mean, they have a lot of pieces, but like you said, they needed that one, the guy to lead that offense. And I think they got it in Sowers. Well, that's, and that's, what's crazy about like the water dogs trade is you kind of look at it and it's like, okay, they didn't have a second round pick, but they got Ryan Brown. So it's Mm -hmm. like, if you had told Andy Copeland, like, Hey, you're going to get Sowers in the first and Ryan Brown in the second. (laughs) It's like, you know, you'd be hard pressed to find two guys that don't complement each other um, as well. um, You know, kind of on top of that. So, Mm -hmm. you know, 
I think you look at Sowers and just surrounding him with shooters and guys that are constantly moving off ball, you know, his chemistry with, with, with Ryan Brown um, is going to be something that I'm certainly kind of be keeping a, a keen eye on for sure. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And then just to kind of wrap up the draft, I want to get some of your maybe biggest surprises, maybe a player that fell a little bit later that you thought was a steal, or even maybe a player that went undrafted that you're thinking maybe might get a chance to make a roster, you know, off the player pool. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking, you know, down my list right now and like, you know, I always kind of start at the top, you know, the kind of mm-hmm. the fact that the whips are coming out of this with with cursed and with tyranny. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, really? Like, <laughs> you know, so they, they needed some depth in the midfield position. You know, I, I think cursed, you know, for them at, at what pick? Uh, pick seven. seven yeah yeah like you know he was my number one midfielder in terms of on my board like the guy's got range he now gives them another two-point threat if he gets short stick matchups like he can dodge shoot from a shelf he's got unbelievable um a uh, 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 physicality to him and, and then really underrated vision so i think he's going to be a, a really good feeder and then tierney brings a dynamic to that offense that they just didn't have mm-hmm. um so you know a guy that is you know, super, super creative um, and is going to beat you in some ways that, that you're not really accustomed to defensively. And if he's also getting a short stick matchup, you know, for him to be able to kind of get his hands free and just kind of let it fly before a slide even occurs, um, I, I think he's going to be a really, really interesting dynamic to, to look you know, within that offense, just, just a different flavor and a different look. Mm-hmm. Um, you you know, they, they tend to be a little bit more system driven. Um, and I think he's just going to give them something that's unique and dynamic that, that and this is just another thing that teams are going to have to prepare for, you know, when, when they play the whips, um, you know, I think looking, looking kind of towards the, the later rounds, I think, you know, Tanner cook at the chaos, that was a bit of a steal. Is yeah. Me. Perfect slot too. I, I feel like I couldn't, I honestly couldn't picture him on another team. I think, you know, obviously the Canadian influence is there, but um, you know, that's where I think the chaos had a bigger need to at midfield. Um, the and, other one was Bertrand know. to the Redwoods. Yeah. That was like, like, you know, that was, I think, you know, in terms of third round, last pick of the third round. Right. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think what, what he brings, um, to them, uh, uh, almost like a, a, a akin to what Tierney is going to bring to the, to the whips, you know, Bertrand, I just think what he's going to bring to the Redwoods is just something that they, um, it's just another guy that can create his own shot, you know, mm-hmm. and you look at the, the upgrade that that team has, has seen this off season um, and, and the, the offensive firepower that they're going to kind of roll out. So, mm-hmm. you know, what do you do when you got Bertrand Jones and Henningberg on the field? Like, like, yeah. like, right. And, and RP three behind that X. <laughs> so, you know, you're talking about, okay, so you're going to, if you pull, logic would would prevail that you're going to pull you know jones or or henningberg right so you're looking at a short stick on bertrand and and i just think that he is you know got the capabilities to 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 initiate from a lot of different positions Mm -hmm. um he just brings so much to the table and and doesn't take a lot off of it you know what i mean yeah um so his versatility um and, and what he's going to provide to that offense i thought that was that was you know a total steal um for for the redwoods so um, again, credit, credit Nat, um, who's got a real propensity to kind of find some gems, um, mm-hmm. in, in the later rounds. No, I agree. I actually had a mocked owner of the whip snakes in the second round. I was surprised he fell out of the second round even. Um, and that might've been even been a little bit low, but the fact that the Redwoods got him, you know, last pick of the third round was 
big. Um, and then finally to wrap up, I, I think a position group that, you know, maybe saw a lot of love in this draft, but maybe people were kind of scratching their heads that so many guys went was the faceoff position. Talk mm-hmm. a little bit about how the PLL, you know, really makes teams need multiple faceoff guys to throw out there at the stripe. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the, 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 the it's, it's like there's, top heavy and then the rest is kind of this kind of mishmash um kind of like wash if you will like i don't know how much if one guy went the other team like how how much of a significant impact that would make so i think what what teams without that clear kind of top guy um it's kind of like well we we probably need to have some some you uh, need to be multiple here um Mm -hmm. so that way we can kind of throw some different options try to wear guys down, um, get guys caught on the field. Um, and then if you do have a, a top guy, you, you need depth just in case something happens. Um, so, you know, you look at the whips last year, you know, with Nardella, you know, they didn't really have another guy kind of waiting in the wings. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, God forbid something had happened. Um, you know, I, it, plan B was like, you know, there wasn't a plan B. It was like yeah. break glass in case of emergency. So, yeah. I think, you know, what a lot of, what a lot of teams, you know, elected to do was kind of, if I have a top guy, you know, I want to have a guy as a number two that just, just in case something happens, I've got kind of a viable option. Mm-hmm. If I don't have a top guy, then I kind of need an equal number, number two. So that way I can try to, 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 to throw out different styles um, and, and try to wear down, you know, whomever the, the other team's top guy is. No, absolutely. And we talked to Greg Renly a little bit and it was the importance of the wing play too. And just a guy that can be versatile that can kind of, you know, it's like a chess match almost at the the stripe. It's not necessarily, you know, brute force or quick speed. It's, it's trying to figure out how they can match up against their opponent. So yeah, I thought it was very interesting. Um, and I, I wasn't too surprised after talking to Greg that that many faceoff guys went, but I know a lot of people didn't think there'd be that many faceoff men off the board. Um, well, I think what's, what's, crazy about that is you look back to the expansion draft and the fact that cannons took three guys mm-hmm, right yeah it's like, yeah we're not we're not really banking on the draft like let's get through three veterans mm-hmm. um and three proven professionals and let's figure it out from there like we yeah. don't want to like leave this to chance and and obviously you know with the college rules it's becoming you know arguably even even more challenging to evaluate that position in terms of mm-hmm. how someone would project um, to the professional level. So, you know, they didn't want to even mess around with that at all. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, and I think people are scratching their heads, but it also put all the other teams kind of on notice to like, all right, well now we really got to fill the need. Like, I don't think three teams thought they were going to lose one of their face-off guys and <laughs> it happened. Yeah. Well, that's a great point. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's take a quick break. We'll hear a word from our sponsor and then we'll dive into our five and five segment. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Today's episode is sponsored by Ducan Supply Co. Ducan is a men's body care brand that features an array of military-inspired products from their signature big-ass bar of soap to their bourbon-infused beard oil. I personally use their big bourbon beard oil that is made with a hint of buffalo trace. I like the oak barrel scent that it gives off, and it makes me feel good about my beard, even if it's not as nice as the one that Adam's sporting these days. As an Army Reservist, I also love that they donate a portion of their proceeds to U.S. veterans. 
So go ahead and check out Do Cannon. Use our code LAX10 to receive 10% off your order and find your own signature scent. Welcome back to Pro Lacrosse Talk on the Lacrosse Playground Podcast Network. All right, so welcome back. Let's dive into our five and five. We'll start off with the lacrosse questions. And usually we ask people what their routines or superstitions are before games when they're going to play. But I'll ask you, what do you kind of do to prepare before you are on the broadcast booth? Um, so it's it's pretty extensive. I actually wrote an article for the, the PLL Island book. But, you know, obviously there's creating my board. Um, mm-hmm. So making sure that, you know, all the players, um, positions, appropriate stats, kind of all that's kind of ready to go, understanding lines, um, you know, things of that nature. So that's kind of the homework, if you will, just making mm-hmm. sure that that's kind of done. And there's, there's no kind of shortcuts there. You just gotta, you just gotta kind of do it, but, but in doing so it becomes pretty ingrained. Um, you know, fortunately for me with PLL rosters and with the same teams, it becomes a little bit easier as opposed to kind of bouncing from PLL is a little bit easier as opposed to college where I got to bounce mm-hmm. from team to team and, and kind of figure out, you know, 40 guys as opposed to kind of half that. Um, and then from there, you know, I, I try to talk to all the coaches leading up, you know, from week to week, obviously having a conversation with each one can, can prove a little bit challenging. So, you know, sometimes priorities will be depending on which games on, you know, you know, uh, which network, um, and then, you know, game film, um, in terms of, you know, watching, watching games and just like I was as a player, just trying to pick up on trends, um, such that I can anticipate either, you know, individual players and what they like to do, um, or kind of more team and kind of macro strategies. Um, and then from there, it's, you know, preparing, preparing the broadcast team for, you know, what are certain things that we may be ready for, whether it's a, a certain narrative and getting kind of beyond the game. And maybe it's a player in his hometown, for example, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of an, an, an easy and, and kind of superficial one to, to also maybe matchups we need to look for. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, maybe it's some trends that we need to keep our eyes on from a statistical standpoint, mm-hmm. so that's such that we can kind of back up the eye test with what the data is showing. Um, so uh, kind of a multi-layered approach, kind of if, if, if you will, in terms of that, that preparation. No, that makes sense. And, you know, making sure that you guys have graphics built too for things right. you're going to talk about and stuff. Uh, number two, what has been your favorite tour stop so far? Obviously, you guys only toured in 2019, um, and then you were in Utah Gosh. last year. But what is favorite, tour stops? favorite tour stop? Cool. That it's. I'm going back a couple of years here. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I mean, Baltimore is always nice, just because I get to go home and see my mm-hmm. family, and um, you know, the game. Kind of my nieces and nephews were kind of kind of running around. Um, you know, selfishly, Red Bull was fantastic just because that was a quote unquote home game for me. So I could mm-hmm. sleep in my own bed and just kind of go, go there um, in the morning and kind of come back afterwards. Um, you know, Philadelphia was, was fantastic just because the crowd I thought was, was amazing. Albany was, was, Albany was right there at the top. The crowd was mm-hmm. super engaged. Um, and that was, that was also a, a blast, um, you know, San Jose, I spent some extra time in, in, in San Francisco in the Bay Area kind of beforehand and, and had a little bit of a vacation before um, a baby moon, I guess it's called. We had a little vacation uh-huh. before, um, before my wife gave birth. So, I, I mean, there was a lot of there was a lot kind of along the way that were uh, um, I'm probably missing one or two. So my apologies. Uh-huh. I'm like knocking the city right now. But but going back two years, I don't know, was it four or five cities? So hopefully I. Hopefully I brought up some good memories. Yeah, no, and a lot of them you guys are going back to too. San Jose has been one that a lot of people have brought up is just, you know, a kind of a hidden gem um, that they didn't expect to be so great. Uh, number three, who's been one of your toughest players to face during your career? So one of your toughest matchups. 
toughest matchups. I mean, uh, from a collegiate standpoint, John Glatzel at Syracuse certainly mm-hmm. really comes to mind. Um, you know, professionally, I always love kind of battling against Lee Zink. Um, mm-hmm. That was somebody that was, you know, pure mind. Uh, likewise with Chris Pasadilla. Um, you know, Jack Reed was always a fun matchup. Um, so um, those are some guys that just kind of immediately come to mind in terms of uh, going, kind of going toe-to-toe with. Awesome. And then number four, who's a teammate or fellow lacrosse player that you kind of leaned on as a mentor during your career? As a mentor? Um, I mean, so I, I think like, you know, Roy Colsey is somebody who was a kind of a, a salty veteran when I got drafted by Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody kind of endearingly calls him Uncle Roy. Um, <laughs> and, and he would always have kind of old war stories and, and, and uh, take us down kind of memory lane and, um, you know, came really close to Brian Doherty. Um, Kyle Sweeney is more of my, my peer, but I've always leaned on him for kind of advice and and mentorship. And, um, you know, in the indoor game, you know, I got drafted to San Jose and, you know, Jim Moss and, and Shaden Santos and, uh, were, were two guys that really, um, I leaned on heavily in terms of getting, getting, getting their advice and kind of acclimating me, uh, Kurt Malowski, Mouse, uh, Patty Mm -hmm. Merrill. Um, so, um, you know, those, those are kind of a handful of guys that come to mind, um, kind of right off the bat. Awesome. And then uh, number five, which MLL championship would you say was the most satisfying? I know you had four and that's kind of a loaded question, but which one was the one that you were really like proud of? I mean, I think my first one, I didn't like know what the heck was going on. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think probably the, the, the two barrage, not my first, not my last, the two barrage, I think were so notable just because, you know, the, the t- after we won my rookie year, the team kind of got gutted mm-hmm. um, and we traded away a bunch of people. There was an ownership change. We like changed our uniforms and we went from like last place, like back down to or first place, back down to last place. It was like, what, what is happening right now? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think like climbing kind of back up um, and, and kind of being a little bit of the bad news bears of the league um, to a degree, um, you know, those are certainly some special moments and, and, um, you know, just a special, special group of players as well. Um, not to take anything away from the first one and, and the mm-hmm. last one in terms of, you know, bringing, bringing a title back to, to Boston. But, um, you know, I, I think that those, those two championships and those two teams, um, you know, like you said, was, was, was a dynasty. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now moving on to the off the field questions, what are some hobbies or activities that you enjoy doing when you're not covering lacrosse? I mean, coaching? Yeah. So my, my social life largely revolves around food. Mm-hmm. Um, so whatever I'm eating next, whether I am going out to eat or I'm preparing that for myself and my family. Um, so food is a, a huge, huge passion of mine kind of started when I was in college throwing like dinner parties, um, and, and really kind of waking up and going to bed, like thinking about what I'm going to cook or eat the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would, I would say kind of the, the food world is, is probably uh, my biggest hobby at Saddle Cross. That segues into my next one is what is your favorite meal and do you prefer to dine out and cook at home? So I play this game deathbed meal and (laughs) my version is a multi-course meal. Um, So you're not limited to one thing. You get an appetizer, entree and dessert and an accompanying beverage. I love it. Um, I haven't played this in a while, um, but I would undoubtedly start with some sort of, and this is also a cheat, some sort of seafood tower. So just a huge thing of oysters, shrimp cocktail, 
some sort of crab involved, whether it's crab salad or crab cakes or crab balls, are coming through. <laughs> um, shrimp cocktail, raw oysters, you know, maybe a little lobster. So a seafood tower is undoubtedly on the table at my last meal. So I will spare you the entree and dessert, <laughs> but there will be some sort of seafood tower involving raw oysters amongst other um things from the from the from the ocean i love it as a you know a son of two baltimore natives and then somebody that uh is now living near the jersey shore i'm a big seafood guy so that that sounded amazing right now and i now i'm really hungry so um, i mean seafood tower is the ultimate cheat code of an appetizer oh yeah because it could be an entree in itself. <laughs> well, you know, like what's the combo platter of like mott sticks and like potato skins? Like, no, no, no. Like the, the, <laughs> the best combo ever is the seafood tower. Absolutely. And then number three, uh, what is your favorite spot to vacation? Favorite spot to vacation? Um, it's been a while. Um, so, you know, I, I naturally kind of always lean on like, what's the last spot that I went to? And usually what's the last international spot that I went to? Um, and uh, we got to kind of travel around, um, you know, France for a bit. Uh, we had a wedding in Champagne. And so we went out um, and kind of started in Paris and then kind of, uh, kind of, rented a car and kind of cruised around a bunch of different spots, you know, went to the wedding in Champagne and then went back to Paris. And so I, I will, I will lean on, I will lean on that trip. Um, and, you know, we stayed at this really cool little kind of like, uh, not even resort, but like, I don't even know how to describe it. Um, but Chateau or something. it was like out in the country and it was like, um, it was, it was like a hotel run by like a restaurant tours though. And so oh, cool. like, um, there was like no locks, there was no mm-hmm. Wi-Fi. Um, the kitchen, like you just like the, the chef and people that were running it were like, we're going to bed. And we were like, Oh, does that mean we need to go to bed? They're like, no, you're adults. You can just stay here. Like, <laughs> what? Like it was just so foreign, you know, yeah. it was like, yeah. Like if you want another glass of wine, like, go grab a glass of wine. Like if you want the fire to keep going, like put another log on the fire. Like when you go to bed, make sure you put the fire out. Like, yeah. <laughs> it was just so like foreign. Um, but that was, uh, that was a special trip. And, and um, so I would, I would probably lean on that. Awesome. And then uh, number four, who's a player in another sport that you enjoy watching right now? Besides Steph. Um <laughs> So, you know, Steph is, is, you know, certainly a, a blast to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, you love, love watching the NBA. So I'd probably in terms of knee jerk reaction. And, and I know this is supposed to be the quick hitters, you know, I'll, I'll go Steph. Awesome. Yeah. So Splash brothers um, there on the Golden State Warriors. Uh, number five, what's a book or podcast that you have read or listened to or a TV show that you've binged that you'd recommend to somebody? Um. So in terms of TV shows, I'm trying to think of, I just did the Mandalorian. I enjoyed oh, that. Yeah. Ted Lasso. Um, I really enjoyed Ted Lasso. That was fun uh, and quick and kind of like good. The undoing was, eh, it was okay. Kind of let me down at the end. Um, so yeah, I would probably go there. Books wise, um, the last book I read wasn't, I don't think I'd, would necessarily recommend but 
Um, you know, I'm just getting back into the culture game. My, my, we have a little one at home running around. So for, mm-hmm. <laughs> for a while, there wasn't really much consumption of, of anything. Yeah. Um, uh, but I guess early in quarantine, Last Dance, if you haven't watched that, I don't know. Phenomenal. If, yeah. I don't know if you're like a human being or spirit <laughs> being, you haven't watched The Last Dance, but if you haven't watched that, like, you know, sprint, don't run, don't walk, like sprint to your television or ipad or whatever and Mm. and consume that immediately check it out yeah i need to check out ted Ted lasso i've heard good things about that oh it's fantastic yeah Yeah. i I really like him too um final question and i loved bojack horseman um i heard that show's kind of deep too like it's dark yeah it's dark yeah yeah yeah. parks and recs always takes me to a happy place yeah (laughs) I realize that's not new or anything, but yeah, I don't know if I'm the person right now to ask about. Uh, I, think, yeah, I think you gave some good recommendations right there. Uh, to wrap up, that wraps up our five and five, but final question before I let you go, what is some advice that you have for a young player looking to play lacrosse professionally one day? For a young player looking to play professionally, um, you know, I'd really just immerse yourself um, mm-hmm. and you know, watch, watch games, watch, there's more games and more film than, than really ever imaginable. Um, and, and find a player that you kind of aspire to be, um, or somebody that you kind of project to, whether it's for whatever reason you're kind of attracted to, maybe it's, you know, physical similarities, um, and, and just watch them and try to pick up some things of them and, and, um, you know, study them and kind of the, the, not only the, what they do, but kind of why, why they're doing it. Um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, take that and, and, and kind of mold your game kind of around that, have your own personality, but, um, you know, have, have, have an inspiration, have a muse, have, have, have somebody that, um, that you kind of acclimate to or inspires you that, that allows you to kind of take your game to the next level. Awesome. No, I think that's some great advice. Well, Ryan, we appreciate it. We look forward to seeing you in the booth this upcoming summer and, uh, watching the PLL season this summer. Thanks for having me. Today's episode is sponsored by Ducan Supply Co. Ducan is a men's body care brand that features an array of military-inspired products from their signature big-ass bar of soap to their bourbon-infused beard oil. I personally use their big bourbon beard oil that is made with a hint of buffalo trace. I like the oak barrel scent that it gives off, and it makes me feel good about my beard, even if it's not as nice as the one that Adam's sporting these days. As an Army reservist, I also love that they donate a portion of their proceeds to U.S. veterans. So go ahead and check out Ducan, use our code LAX10 to receive 10% off your order, and find your own signature scent.